Good morning. Good morning. How is everyone doing? My name is Lonnie, uh, Lonnie Parker. I'm one of the leaders here, uh, here at Sanctuary. And uh, I am, it doesn't show because it sounds probably pr maybe pretty solemn in my voice, but I am like pumped. I'm like, I'm kind of wired. I've been up since two. Um, I, not so much because I was nervous, just because I couldn't sleep. I was binge watching House of Cards, and it was it was intense. And um, I think I was up since four. And I went to sleep at two. Um, I didn't tell my wife that. So, um, but yes, I'm excited. I'm pumped. Um, I want to start off as I try always do. This is this is only maybe the third time I've had the opportunity, the blessing, um, the privilege to speak up here to you. Uh, as a congregation, but every time, and I hope those that, cl that are closest to me hold me accountable, that I, I first start off with thanking, uh, thanking the Lord. I wouldn't be up here, I wouldn't have this opportunity, this venue, if it wasn't for him, if it wasn't for God's grace. So first and foremost to God, and second, uh, to you as a congregation, to Andrew uh, and the leadership, um, and I hope that he's somewhere resting and relaxed and comes back extra energized but without coffee. Um, so we've been in Psalms, and we've been in Psalms for a couple weeks, and I don't think anyone would disagree that it's been an intense couple of weeks. We uh, have seen a lot of things. We've gone right wing, left wing um, on a lot of different issues. And so I wanted to actually, I was thinking about it over the last week, and I was like, man, I really wanted to text Andrew something just to get his, his response, just as like a kind of interview and uh, and, and then get that response and then give it back to you to reflect on, but I didn't actually remember to text him. But what I wanted to text him was, man, did you have any idea that when we started this series in Psalms that we would start going through these ups and downs in our country as we have? Because I don't think, I think it's pretty rare, um, pretty unique that that would happen. That's another, to me, through my experience, another indication of how the Lord can speak to us through the word, how he can speak to our lives through the Holy Spirit. And I, I just, I find it pretty, pretty interesting that we're going through Psalms, a book that um, has so much, so much ups, so many ups and so many downs. Um, so I was asked to speak on Psalms. And so we're going to dig a little bit into Psalm 119. That's where I want to thank Stacia for the reading of the word. And the, the set of verses that she read um, are important, but all of them are really important. All of them are relevant. And we're going to talk a little bit about each of them um, or characteristics thereof. Uh, if, I'm an engineer so by trade, so I, I, I like a framework. So if you're very methodical and, and like thinking things through, there's like a three-step process to today. Uh, we're going to go through the what of the Psalm 119. We're going to go through the how uh, of, of how you get what you can get from Psalm 119. And then we'll get to the why. But, but starting with the what, there's some interesting facts. And this, this kind of addresses and, and goes back to the importance of reading Scripture, the importance of um, doing it in a specific way. Now, I personally, I have a particular way that I try to read the word. This is not law by any chance, um, by any stretch of the imagination. But what I like to do is I like to, I like to take a scripture, regardless, it, it doesn't, Genesis to uh, Revelation, and I want to start off by just getting in a quiet space and praying first. At a, um, we had a, a team day, a leadership day, a partner day, where everybody was asked to write down on a sticky note what their perspective was on scripture and give a little bit of background, just, just a brief statement so that we could all take and collect those and get a perspective of where we are as a church, as a community, on scripture, on the Bible. Everybody has um, their range of perspectives on it and they're entitled to them. Um, but 
we wanted to get an idea so that we could, we could speak. And so one of those um, aspects of that was somebody wrote, I'd really like to spend more time in the Word. And again, in my opinion, one way to do that is get quiet, get the Word, whether it's on the app or it physically exists in space and time, and just say, Lord, show me something. So show me something in your word. Be earnest about it. Be humble about it. Um, mean it. If you're by yourself, there's no reason to be embarrassed. So I hope that anybody that wrote that down on their, their sticky note that wants to read the word, that wants to understand how to read it more, starts there. And then after they feel that they've, you know, write some observations down through that time of reading through the scriptures and maybe identifying things. Of course, you're going to be influenced by your background and the things that you have gone through. Um, but that's part of it. That's part of reading. And then if you're a nerd like me, go to the commentaries. Then go to Andrew. Then go to one of the other leaders in the church and ask them, hey, what is the scripture saying to you? It's, it's not a perfect framework, but what I was excited about was when I read Psalm 119, I followed that framework, and then I saw some things, and then they were confirmed. So that's why I'm excited. That's why I'm pumped. I hope that you learned something, um, if, if only briefly, and, uh, and we can dig in. So Psalm 119. And I don't jump around a lot at all, like Andrew. I don't, I don't think this thing is stable enough. I don't drink coffee. This is just natural. So um, I, hope that, I hope you're not freaked out, but I'm going to try and, be, and emphasize and speak into the mic uh, because Andrew also clowned me on that one, uh, that I mumble. So, so what do we know about Psalms? We've been going through Psalms. and One, one interesting fun fact, right, there's no chapters in Psalms, right? There's, there's no Psalm chapter 5, Psalm chapter 19, they're all explicit or deliberately individualized songs, hymns, um, spiritual songs. So that, that's an interesting fun fact. And we know that this book of poetry that the Old Testament is made up of is that the book of Psalms is one part, one book within that book of poetry. You know, you have the law, you have the history, you have the poetry, and you have the prophets. So that's another fun fact. Psalm 119, again, it's specifically all 176 verses, because I went through every single one, and I just went to the end, I saw there was 176. I saw that you notice, and when you Wikipedia it, because that was one of my primary sources, researchers don't judge me, um, it was a pretty common observation that it's considered an acrostic poem. Now, who who knows what acrostic means? I knew there'd be one. All right. So across, I didn't know what it meant. The best way to understand acrostic poem is kind of like an acronym, but in poetry form. So I work in robotics, and uh, one thing that we deal a lot with is uh, unmanned undersea vehicles. So if I was in some weird sort of way uh, a poet or a creative from the creative community, but was heavily influenced by technology, and I came to my collective group of friends, I said, I'd like to divulge my latest creation. It's called unmanned undersea vehicle. First, you look at me like I was crazy. Second, you look and say, that's, that's absurd. But the important thing is an acrostic poem is just um, a poem in which each aspect or each line or each stanza of that poem has a single word or phrase that has meaning when you put all those single features of those lines and phrases together. So in Psalm 119, what we know is each of the 22 stanzas that it's made up of actually has a word of the Hebrew letter, or the, has a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So that's kind of the characteristic of 119. It's, it is a song, it is poetry, but it's also a teaching tool, right? You can learn about the Hebrew alphabet 
by going through this. I don't read Hebrew. I don't see it in my near future, but it's something, it's another interesting aspect. And furthermore, the last thing, and that kind of leads us into um, one of the the biggest parts of, of what I wanted to share today is that if you go through every single verse from 1 to 176, with the exception of two verses, with the exception of verse 121 and 122, every single verse in Psalm 119 makes some reference, some, um, it alludes to in some way the word of God. If it's not calling it the law of the Lord or his statutes or his promise or his decrees or his precepts or my favorite, his truth, his timeless truth, there's some reference to the Torah. Now we know traditionally, all right, well, the, all right, the writers were working and, and speaking specifically about the Pentateuch, right? They were speaking about the Torah, right? And that's not Matthew through Revelation. But go with me for a second. Imagine if what's written in there could actually, in theory, be applied to all of Scripture. Imagine if what's written in 119 and the characteristics that we're going to talk about could actually be representative of all that is in here. Just say it, just for for argument's sake. There's all these references to some form or descriptive character of the word of God. And you have to pull those out. You have to spend time with identifying how is the author, how is the author of this psalm describing the word of God? Well, we have, we have indications, right? We have uh, obedience to his word. The author was very adamant about, Lord, I want to be obedient to your word. In verse 127, it talks about the word in the context of the word is valued above things, above great riches, that's even in the selection that Stacia read. It talks about the arrogant. The arrogant avoid his word. Now that can be arrogant in terms of either a permanent resistance or a refusal to visit his word. Now that's kind of a heavy indictment, right? Like it's, that's kind of harsh. But maybe you're in a place where you said, look, I, I've, I've heard enough about what is in the word and you know, I'm, I'm trying this Jesus thing out and it's, I love the environment, I love the community, I think it's great, but you know, I have some issues with the word. That's okay, we'll get there. But there are, there are characteristics about the word that are throughout Psalm 119 and I would argue, just as Andrew would argue, that there's an opportunity to learn more about all of scripture, not just what's in the first five books. So. Beyond those other characteristics, there's an expectation to learn new things. Just to read a a couple verses. So Psalm, or sorry, verse, verse 71. Though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all my heart. Their hearts are callous and unfeeling, but I delight in your law. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decree, so that I might. It doesn't even guarantee that you're going to learn what the Word of God is. It just, it's the possibility, the expectation, the readiness, the excitement, the, possi- the, the possibility that you might learn something in the Torah, that you might learn something in the Bible. Verse 125, I am your servant. Give me discernment that I may understand your statutes. I might. Nobody is guaranteeing that when you follow that little framework that I, I mentioned earlier, and when you sit down and you pray and you say, Lord, show me something, and nothing comes of it, That doesn't mean God is not there. That doesn't mean that you didn't do the right thing. There's a verse, and I I won't get into it, but it talks about, uh, and some of you may be familiar with it, it talks about um, ask and you shall receive, knock and the door will be opened. When you translate that, and I have yet to verify this, but when I've been taught 
in biblically-based churches, that that actually translates to ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Look and keep on looking. I'm not sure if there's a third one. So there's an expectation that, that at least the author of Psalm 119 says we should be prepared for. Another characteristic is that we are readied by the word. The last month, uh, I, don't, I, I won't get into all the politics that, that belongs outside of here, but um, I've, been, I've been down. Like There's been parts of me that, that had me change my thinking. I'm, I want to stand right in the middle, right? I feel for everybody who has lost someone else. And so my, my soul is kind of burdened. And I know that there's some of us that don't even have time to deal with the, the craziness in, in that part of the, the spectrum. They have finances to meet. They have uh, children to rear. I have a two-year-old. I'm trying to rear her. This is not a joke. Um, the word no, I didn't want her to learn that first. I wanted her to learn yes, daddy. But there's encouragement in this characteristic about the word, being readied by it. In verse 58, your promise, your word, your statutes, your precepts, your promise revives me. It comforts me in all of my troubles, all of them. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that means any trouble. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's unconditional. And I'm also going to go out on a limb and say it's also applied to the Bible. Verse 154, argue my case Take my side, protect my life as you promised. I have my own personal examples. I would love to spend time and share them with you in terms of how this scripture applies to me. And if I told you those examples, you'd probably think that's pretty mundane and pretty lame, and I'm dealing with real problems. Fair enough. But that doesn't mean that it's not applicable to you just because it's more serious. So that's the what. We, we see that there's these different descriptors about the word of God, and we see that there's these different characteristics um, in which the author uses to describe them. So then there's the how. And we kind of alluded to it, the how. How do we come through these? So like a good nerd, I did a word search. And I came up as another heavy part of how, and how I believe the Holy Spirit works through different people's lives. I, I just focused on uh, a particular theme, a particular word that I was reading over and over again, a, kind of a consistent theme. I said, I wonder what, how many times that word shows up if I do a search. I use blueletterbible.org. It's something I've been using since uh, I, was, I was younger. And I, I find it useful because it has commentaries and it has the uh, Hebrew and Greek translation. And it's just a really good resource if you need to access it online. But when you, when you look at the word meditation, if you just go to blueletterbible.org and search the word meditate, and this is not an unofficial calculation that I did, but I just, I just tried something out. I went to several different versions of scripture. I went to the NIV, the NLT, King James, New King James. Uh, if you don't know what those acronyms are, maybe they're acrostic poem, but just go to, go to visit and, and you wanna look at different translations because you wanna see, well, is it, am I just thinking this? Is, is, is whatever the Lord's saying to me, is it consistent across the way other people have also translated the same scripture? And when you look at the word meditate, from what I saw and what I observed, it comes up overwhelmingly exclusively in Psalm 119. That doesn't mean it's not in Job, in the book of Job. It doesn't mean it's not in other parts of the Old Testament. But a majority of the results show up. A majority of the same scriptures show up targeted in 119. 
Verse 15, I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I'll reflect, I'll spend time. Verse 27, help me understand the meaning of your commandments and I will meditate on your wonderful deeds. Verse 97, oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. How many of us think about the word of God all day long? Because I don't. I don't. I, I work in an office where I get interrupted. I, I think about my email inbox all day long. I think about avoiding trying to get uh, my inbox full. I think about that. I think about the, the people that I'm working with that hopefully I'm able to minister to in some way without them like turning their shoulder because I mentioned the word Jesus. I think about that. So that's kind of that's noble. That's a nice characteristic. But I don't think about his word all day long. I try in the morning when I come in. I try to read a verse. I try to get that auto, auto email from version. How many version members we have here? Yeah? All right, seven. Great. version. Join the movement. But like I mentioned, across these translations, no other psalm mentions the word meditate as much as Psalm 119. So, to me, again, so just me, that indicates an interesting thing. So we know the characteristics of God, uh, the characteristics of the word are in Psalm 119. And if you're willing to go with me for 10 more minutes or 15 more minutes, that, that could also, those characteristics could also be applied to the whole of the Bible. And the word meditate, which is translated siach, I had to look that one up too. I was very proud of myself. I pronounced it. I said it to some of the people this morning. Siach, it's a very throaty, throaty word in Hebrew. When that word is translated, it's most often translated as meditate. So we have those two features within Psalm 119. So maybe, maybe, that means that we should connect meditating on the word of God more often. Maybe that's how the author came to those conclusions. Maybe it's possible that that's a part of the formula. And I, I, as much as I may be an engineer, I don't like when it comes to things of God trying to legalize. I don't, I'm not into that. that. That concerns me. But it's a nice way to think of how we should approach the word of God, especially if you're new to it, especially if you are a new Christian, especially if you're still learning about Jesus Maybe you haven't said yes to Jesus, but you're, you're still curious and you're trying to remember, what are all the different aspects of this being a Christian thing? I was, um, I was walking in, in Barnes and & Noble, and I was leaving Barnes & Noble, and uh, I wasn't getting a book because I don't read that often, but I was getting a cupcake from their, what's their, uh, what's that thing, the Starbucks pastry situation? lovely, delicious. It's like a, a treat that our family shares. Not my daughter, she can't have the sugar, but I was, I was leaving, I got, I got my four pack. That's also embarrassing. Uh, and I'm leaving and I'm walking and you know how Barnes and Noble has like this first set of doors and the next set of doors? So in the, between those two sets of doors, there's actually this display of the latest book they were trying to feature. And it was this book series called Astronomy in 30 seconds or less, and science in 30 seconds or less, and I don't know, uh, it was something else in 30 seconds or less, and then of course, naturally, I saw Bible in 30 seconds or less. So I got my tray, I see 30 seconds, I'm like, whoa, I start backing up. I go grab a copy, let me see what this thing says, and 
there's nothing wrong with the book. I, I flipped through it. It actually looks pretty interesting. It, it tries to summarize a lot of the characters and the storylines and the plots that uh, are carried about or carried out and represented in Scripture. But I get nervous about seeing that there, too. I like it. It's a great resource. I'm sure somebody uses it. But, dear Lord, if that's the only thing that they ever see about the Bible, that's a problem. If that's what's ministering to somebody, is somebody else's summary in which maybe God spoke to them about how to write and summarize those details, but if that's the only Bible that somebody else has ever seen, that concerns me. Maybe it's wrong, maybe I shouldn't be concerned, maybe it's none of my business, but if they're not taking the actual book, I love this book because I I was given, it was a present to me from um, some of the, the first people that I met in the church, and it's, it's, you know, tearing up and uh, sits on my bookshelf most of the time. But I'm, I'm actually crazy enough to think that there's something powerful in the Bible. I'm, I'm, I'm insane. Uh, I, maybe I don't say it as, man, as much as I should to minister to others, but I actually believe in the Bible. I also understand that people have misused it and tr- mistreated it and used it in the wrong way. And so I want to fix that. I want to, this entire church wants to fix that. When we mentioned the, the uh, leadership team and how we had individuals come and, and write down a little statement about the Bible, one of the things um, that we made a, a pact to do was make sure we incorporated uh, a spirit of biblical literacy. That's one of our goals for this year. And so when you see, just pay attention to the announcements. When um, a lot of the announcements maybe today were more uh, about social gatherings, but when we do home groups, and some of you are, are in our home groups when you do the core series, that R, core, what is it? Confession, outreach, reading, and encouragement. We're always coming back to that list of what people submitted and trying to address the issues that they wrote down and do it in some way. If you've noticed, Andrew preaches a lot more uh, providing more biblical context behind what he's saying. So I'm, I come back to this word meditate because um, what was heavy, again, when I was studying, and I, I, I mentioned it to Andrew, he said, yeah, you know, that's, that's what we've been talking about, the whole growling thing. If you haven't been here uh, or you've been on and off, Andrew and Aaron over the last couple of weeks have been preaching about how the Psalms, it speaks to this growling, whatever that, that may look like. It may look like different things to you, but there's a growling, like, a, like Andrew used the analogy, a dog growls over a bone, not, defensing, not, not being defensive of it, but, but, I don't know, savoring, savoring the word. How, how often do we savor the word? I did it a lot when I was in school, before I was married, before I had a child. I need, I want, personally, I want to get back to doing that. I want to get back to growling. Erin talked about it in her sermon when she, she talked about a, a quiet heart. There's a way in which we have to do it. There's a way in which we have to cultivate an environment so that we can hear from the Lord about what we're asking earnestly for him to show us in the scriptures. The, the individual statements that people wrote on those, um, on those post-it notes, that's a cry. That's, a, that's a, a crying out for the word, just as one of the characteristics that the author in Psalm 119 mentioned. And you can't do it in 30 seconds or less. You have to spend time in it. I'm sorry. There's different ways um, that growling can look like. So I mentioned a dog with a bone. Nobody's really, I hope nobody's really crouching over the word, growling over it, because that's concerning. But 
But growling may look like different things for different people, right? Different strokes for different folks. What could growling be? For me, growling has been reading a historical fact, reading something in scripture that's known to be historical, and then going and, and looking it up on Wikipedia, and, and finding, oh, wow, that, that was, that's really there. That's legit. Like, nobody can argue against that fact. It's just, wow, that could be growling. Another way of, of growling could be surrendering. I have, I have several stories that I would love to share, especially about newly married couples and those thinking about getting married, about my wife and I, about surrendering to what's, what's said in the word because that's what it came from. I saw something, I read it, I studied it, I growled over it, and I said, I, I can't argue with this. Growling may be defense against the enemy, right? So we talk, it can be abstract, what does the enemy look like? The enemy can be a spirit. The enemy can be a, a, a person with a nasty attitude. That can be the enemy. That person is fine. The person, they have goodness. They were, ba- they were made for glorious things, but they have let a spirit of negativity, they have let a spirit of doubt, they've let a spirit of fear come into their lives, and somehow it's found its way, and they've tried to put it on you. And then, therefore, you feel attacked. Growling over the word can be your resistance to that. When you read about the arrogant and the prideful, how they avoid his word, Lord, keep me in light of them. That's the same. It's... It's just as applicable. It could be your frustration with yourself over sin. What do we say here? The the longings, does legitimate longings go on astray? Sin. The issues that we come, that keep popping up over and over again. Pick one, whatever one you want. If it's pride, I deal with that a lot. Man, I, I deal with it in my marriage. I did it again. I thought I was, I thought I knew what I was doing. I need to growl over the word that I know speaks specifically to that issue of pride in my heart. But whatever it is, I'll just say it again, it can't come in 30 seconds or less. I'll reserve my comments for social media. I know social media gets a bad rap sometimes in this church, but yet it's a tool and we need to use it, but we need to be responsible in how we use it. And sometimes we need need that tangible thing. We need the scripture itself. Sometimes we need the app, I guess. And I can't, I can't determine for you how long that is. Maybe it's five minutes. Maybe you have the longest day ever. Maybe you start your day at 4 a.m. and you don't get to bed until 12. Tell somebody about that, have them pray for you because that's not a joke to have to do something like that five days a week. And you have to, you have no way out of your current situation. So where do I squeeze five minutes in? Talk to somebody, talk to me, ask me. I'll, we'll talk about how we can figure out to get five minutes in. But I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna create another formula to say you must spend exactly one hour. When you're a grad student, you should spend a whole day. Because I was a grad student and I had a lot of time. I would have been more productive, but it would have been a lot more helpful. And last thing I'll say about the how, how we come up on these observations. One of my favorite, uh, I guess it's my favorite movie, I don't really... It's, it's a movie I've binge-watched binge before, A League of Their Own. You're like, what could this possibly have to do with Jesus? So A League of Their Own, uh, if anybody knows the story, it's about the, the historic women's baseball team when the, all the men went off to war. And it has Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, and there's a part at the end of the movie where Gina Davis, she, she, she bolts. She abandons her team. She says, look, I, I'm not doing this. And her, her confidant, the, the man that had come alongside her to support her in this, 
he was like, well, what's the deal? What, what happened? And she, she got flustered. She said, I, it just got too hard. And my favorite part of that movie is when he, the camera zooms in and he looks at her and he says, it's supposed to be hard. If it was easy, everyone would do it. Church, if reading the Bible, if meditating on scripture was, was easy, everyone would do it. It's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be challenging in this culture of constant distractions and constant interruptions. My challenge to you is, can you block those, those distractions out? Can you do the harder thing, which is to meditate on the word of God? Can you do the harder thing, which is to block out time? Can you do the harder thing, which is to not go out when you know you could spend a little bit more time inside? The final thing is why, right? We talked a lot about the characteristics of the word of God, and uh, those are really fun observations and a lot of fun facts and acrostic poem. Cool, but, but why? We talked about how you could figure this out, how you could go out and do this practically. I hope, I hope you think it's practical. But the why, that's pretty simple. There's only one word. There's only one name. It's Jesus. I hope that if I ever have the opportunity to come up again, I never forget to always bring it back. Let's bring ourselves back to Jesus. Why would we study? Why would we siach? Why would we meditate on scripture? Because Jesus did. And if we are crazy enough to believe what's in here, and if we believe that they still can't find his body, and he is risen, then maybe we should continue to think and model ourselves and our behavior against how he behaved and how he thought and how he studied and how he meditated. The best example of this is in, is in Matthew 1, uh, Matthew 4, verse 1 through 11. A lot of people know the story, Jesus in the wilderness, and he's going about and he's he's tempted by the enemy. Remember, I said the enemy could look like a lot of different things. It could be manifested in the, in the nature of a human being that is going through a horrible time, a horrific experience. But don't let that throw you off. Nonetheless, Jesus is in the wilderness and the enemy approaches him. And what I love, one of my favorite parts of that verse is the enemy even uses scripture. He misuses it. He challenges Jesus and says, if you really are the son of God, throw yourself off a cliff and surely the angels will catch you. Well, if you read where that verse comes from, and it tells you where, it's in Deuteronomy. I think it's in Deuteronomy. He's misusing it. He's taking it totally out of context. And what does Jesus do? What does he say? Well, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. He drops the mic and walks out. It, he knew scripture. But let me also say that he didn't just know it through osmosis. In Luke, read the book of Luke. He talks about how he came as a child to study, to study through the, with the scholars in the synagogue. He took responsibility. Some of us are past that point of childhood, but we can still be as children in our minds about the word of God. We can take a posture of saying, look, I don't know everything I know. I'm, in, in reality, I'm like five years old. Lonnie Parker is like five years old in Christ. Seven years old, yeah, seven years old. So what? I'm not claiming I know everything that there is in Scripture. I definitely don't. But every time I come to this book, I come to it with, with, with awe and uh, expectation and a readiness, all those characteristics. I try to, and that's my prayer that I sustain that. Jesus did it. We do this because Jesus did it. 
He used scripture to justify his purpose against the Pharisees. He used it to teach his followers. He used it to teach others through the Sermon on the Mount. There's so much influence of scripture, the Pentateuch, the Old Testament, on Jesus' life. Why shouldn't the Bible have just as much influence on our lives if he is who he says he is? So, um, in conclusion, I hope that You've gotten something from this. And I, I know that there's a range of people and, and their perspectives of what they think about Scripture, but to, to quantize it, if you will, uh, we'll keep it in two categories. For the doubter, for the person that says, I, I don't know, I, yeah, I, I got you, it's great, it's a great story, uh, but I just, there's these, all these little issues. All I say is that you don't cheat yourself. Don't walk out that door and think that you're going to sustain the same perspective and be justified without doing your due diligence, without doing your research on what scripture says, and don't get somebody else that agrees with you. I challenge you to find somebody objective. Consider, just as it said in Psalm 119, that there are timeless truths that fight against the moral relativism that we tend to use as our reference. Andrew highlighted a couple times, and he referenced in Psalm 77, how when you are studying scripture, you remember you remember things. When we're in worship, we, if we think about certain scriptures, we can remember the times when your life was spared. We remember the times if we're parents when our child was protected in a circumstance that we had no control over. How could that not be God's grace? Through certain scriptures, it's described. That kind of grace is described. We remember the relationship that was so toxic in our lives that the Lord got us out of and how our lives could have taken a very different turn. I understand day after day much, much more what, it, what God's grace means. And for the believer, for the person that's on board and still studies regularly, God bless you. Um, but I do still encourage you to leave your biases at the door. Just because you went through the book of Job and you know all about what suffering is, don't think that you can't learn something new today. Scripture says the word is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Bring your observations with you. Bring them to home group. There are people that want to know at home group that are new to this home group thing about what you've observed. Write them down. Instagram them, something. I don't know. And finally, as a a nice little activity, write your own song. Write your own song. If you're a a creative person, write your troubles. Write your successes. Write your, your excitement to God. Consider it your own personal song. I don't think that's too heretical. Don't try to claim it's in the canon. Don't try to tra- claim that it needs to be in Scripture. I want to, um, as I welcome the, uh, the worship team up and we prepare for communion, um, I want to read uh, from 1 Corinthians. When I was, um, when I rededicated my life to the Lord, I was in Texas, and uh, I, you know, those people there had a major impact on me. I hope that we are that that welcoming family for some of you, for all of you. Um, and that's where this book came from. And one thing we would do is during each part of the service, there'd usually be some kind of scripture reference that would give us indication of why we were doing what we were doing. So if it was, uh, if it was offering, we would read a scripture about the offering. If it was about worship, we would read a scripture about worship. And so um, I want to read from 1 Corinthians as I pull my daughter's hair clip as a bookmark out. Thank you, Olivia. And I, we can have the, the uh, servers come up. I just want to read from 1 Corinthians 11, 
verse 23. It's only five verses. For this is what the Lord himself has said about his table. And I passed it on to you before, that on the night when Judas betrayed him, the Lord took Jesus, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks to God for it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take this and eat it. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And in the same way, he took the cup after wine, of a cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new agreement between God and you that has been established and set in motion for my blood. Do this in remembrance of me whenever you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the message of the Lord's death that he has died for you. Do this until he comes again. So if anyone eats this bread and drinks from this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, he is guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why a man or woman should examine themselves carefully before eating the bread and drinking from the cup. That's just one example. People have turned it into legalistic tradition and tried to claim it as you're going to hell if you don't do this, if you don't examine yourself. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that, but, but it's for our edification. It's for our readiness. It's for us to be expectant and learn about what's in here. And so if you, if you haven't heard that, you just heard, a, a, you heard the gospel, basically, in that scripture. And if you're new with us, we have people that will pray for you. And I encourage you, if you get up, you decide to take communion or you decide not to, that you, you align yourself in the, in the line to my right. And if you say, look, I'm not ready, I don't, I'm not, not into this, we're not pushing you, we just want us, to, we want to provide you with what helps your, your head match with what's in your heart. So I'll pray for us, and as you're led, um, please come forward for communion. Heavenly Father, You are so gracious. You are so um, amazing. And we, we trust in you. We pray that you remove anything that is not of you from our hearts. We pray that we remember the good times, the, the goodness of who um, you are in how you've guided us and protected us and brought us even physically here to this place today. And we pray that that, that inspires us. And as we come to take communion, as we come to the table to share fellowship with others, we pray we're reminded why we can be excited, why we can have joy over this table. Because you defeated the cross before, because your body cannot be found, Heavenly Father. So we do this to remember your death, but not to stay in a state of, of isolation, of solitude, of, of being solemn, but to rejoice. We thank you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.